Well, this morning we have, uh, we only have two more sermons left in our Proverbs series this week and one more next week, and then we're going to get into Christmas. So um, just a recap of where we've been in the book of Proverbs so far. Here's uh, where we are at, and uh, I'm not going to go over them all again, but we are now on the eighth week, and the title of today's message is People of Integrity. People of Integrity. Uh, The Christian life begins with salvation. This is when we turn our lives to Christ. This is when, as Jesus says, you must be born again. This is when we trust in Jesus as our Savior. And he does this work in us where we are born again. We are redeemed. We receive his gift of salvation. We receive eternal life. And we enter into the family of God. There's also a word, it's a churchy word, it's a Bible word, it's a big word, but it's a good word that we should understand and know what it is, and that's the word justification. Justification is also something that happens when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we, when we get saved, when we're born again. We also receive justification, we are justified. And what that basically means, the term justification, is that the righteousness of Jesus that we don't have is imputed to us, is imparted to us. It's downloaded and installed in our lives. All right? The righteousness of Jesus becomes our own. And so we are justified, and and a way of saying it is that it becomes just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. And so when God sees us, He sees us as His children. He sees us as covered by the blood and the righteousness of Jesus. This is what justification is about. So that happens at the moment of salvation. However, the reality is is that we're not therefore perfect and sinless. No, we now have entered into a family and yet we continue to sin. We continue to live a life where we make mistakes and we sin and we do wrong. And so there's also this churchy word, which is sanctification. So sanctification is this lifelong process that God has us on uh, from the moment of salvation until the moment we enter heaven when our sanctification will be complete. And this lifelong process is this journey of God shaping us and refining us and transforming us as, we, as, as He uh, does a work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. It's this slow, overtime uh, process of maturing us through a variety of life experiences. That's what the sanctification process is about. Um, I was thinking about uh, the stock market this week because somebody was telling me about some stock things and I was thinking about the stock market. And, uh, and I was thinking about how the journey of sanctification is often like the, what the stock market looks like, right? It's that, you know, there's all these ups and downs, right, in life. There's, there's peaks and valleys. There's highs and lows. There's times we feel closer to God and times we feel farther away from God and times when we're really in a good groove with the Lord and times when we take a dip down uh, for, because of sin or different things that are hang-ups in our life or whatever. Uh, but ultimately, as you look at the stock market over you know, a, the, a long span, this is a 10-year you know, picture here of the stock market, um, ultimately there's growth, right? It doesn't always seem like it in the moment because it's up and down, but as you look at the big picture, you can say, oh, you know what? I started down here and today I'm up here. I've grown this much. And through all these peaks and valleys and highs and lows and difficult circumstances, I have become more mature in my faith. This is what God is doing in our lives through the process of sanctification. And he's using all of these circumstances to mold us and shape us into into becoming more like Jesus. So God is growing us. 
And the ultimate goal is holiness, total sanctification, which, as I said, we really only will achieve when we enter heaven one day. Um, but uh, it's, it's holiness. It's Christ-likeness. That's what God is growing us into. We are gradually becoming more like Jesus. One of the ways that Christ-likeness manifests itself in our lives, or you might say one of the signs, you go to the next slide, one of the signs that we are becoming more like Jesus is that we are beginning to demonstrate in our lives integrity. Integrity. Christians ought to be people of integrity and ought to be continually becoming people of greater integrity as we are sanctified over the course of our lives. Now, what does this word integrity mean? The origin of that word, it's the same root word where we get the word integer or integration or integrate. And so integrity at its root really means like wholeness. It means unity. It means sameness all the way through. If you're checking the integrity of a building or of a structure, right, you're checking to make sure that it's solid and, and strong all the way through. right? If you go and dig under your foundation, you're compromising the integrity of your foundation because now it's, going to be, it, it, it's not going to be solid all the way through and it could crumble. Another way you might use the word is, is, is uh, artistic integrity. Imagine that you're doing a renovation on your home. And imagine that your home is one of those uh, uh, heritage properties down in the downtown area where you're not really supposed to make any dramatic changes, right? But you go and you take your heritage home and you build this big modern uh, extension off the side that doesn't look anything like the rest of it, right? Uh, you have compromised the artistic integrity of your home because uh, this part over here doesn't match this part over here. There's no continuity. There's no integrity between the two parts, so there's inconsistency. Looks one way on one side and one way, a different way on the other side. So when we think about our moral integrity or our ethical integrity, we're talking about the same idea. To be a person of integrity doesn't mean that you are perfect. Doesn't mean that you always do the right thing. But to be a person of integrity is to be consistent. It's that the words match the actions. And the actions match the beliefs. And the public life matches the private life. That's what integrity is about. As I was reading, doing some reading and studying on the concept of integrity this week, one author illustrated it with an iceberg and, and said that uh, the top of the iceberg, that's the part of our lives that people see most often. This is the outward part, the external parts of our lives. This is our activity. This is, our, what we, this is what we do. This is our performance. This is our tasks for work, home, school. This is our public selves. Uh, and then the bottom part of the iceberg, which is really the, the bigger part, the, the more significant part, is who we are. It's our identity. It's our character. It's our inner being. It's our private selves. And integrity, integrity is when there is continuity between the top and the bottom of the iceberg. Integrity is when they match. When who we are in private is the same as who we are in public. 
when our identity and our beliefs and the core of, of who we are in the inner selves uh, is reflected equally in our outer selves and vice versa. We look at Jesus. We're trying to become like Jesus, Christ-like. This is the goal of sanctification. We look at Jesus and we say, was he a man of integrity? And we say, yes, absolutely. He was a man of perfect integrity. On the inside, he is God. He is pure, perfectly pure in motive and thought. He is made up of love. That's what he is all about. And he has deep intimacy with the Father, spending hours in prayer. And on the outside, we see a man who lived a sinless life, who loved all people, who obeyed the law to perfection. He was literally God in the flesh. God, the bottom part, in the flesh, the outward part. Perfect integrity. Now, we will never achieve Christ's sinless perfection on earth. Uh, Of course. Uh, (laughs) Rick Warren, I've heard him say before, he said, we all have fallen shorts. Right? Right? He says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we all have fallen shorts. Um, in, uh, we all miss the mark. In Ecclesiastes 7.20 it says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Well, that's pretty well, you can't say it more clearly than that. Ecclesiastes 7.20. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. But as God grows us into the likeness of Christ, as God is shaping us to become more like Jesus, as He takes us on this stock market journey up and down, uh, on, on this goal towards sanctification, one of the things He wants to produce in us is integrity, moral consistency. That I would be the same person when people are watching as I am when I'm all alone. D.L. Moody says, character is what a man is in the dark. The opposite of integrity is hypocrisy. The Greek, uh, the word hypocrisy comes from a Greek word, which is uh, Hippocrates, which means literally an actor. So in ancient Rome, and, and, we, and I, uh, Janet and I have been into Israel, and we've seen some of these ancient Roman theaters, and some other folks have been there too, and you've seen these, these beautiful amphitheaters that they built. Well, the, these stage actors, as they would come out on the stage, they would wear these masks, and these are actually photos of some ancient Roman masks that archaeologists have found. And uh, they would wear these masks and po- uh, portray a role, and then uh, the same actor would go backstage... And, and swap out that mask and put on a different mask and come out and be a different character. And then they would do that role for a minute. And then they'd go backstage and they'd swap the mask and put on a different mask to be a different character. Uh, and they would, the same actor would play many roles in a play. And when they were writing the New Testament and they were trying to think of what would describe a person who is a, is a hypocrite, who, who doesn't, who's not always the same uh, as they're on the outside as what they are on the inside, uh, who, who, who may put on a front and be hiding a, a bad motive and all these things. They said, ah, just like an actor in a Roman play, a Hippocrates. That's what the word hypocrite means. Someone who plays a part on the outside that doesn't match who's behind the mask. Jesus said in, in Matthew twenty three twenty five as he was as he was you know ripping into the Pharisees as he did quite often, he said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Nice and shiny on the outside, but on the inside, filthy. Mm. Pure water, it's good. No hypocrite here. This... This is, this is a model of integrity right here. Um, the outside of the cup, the top of the iceberg, oh, it looks great. But on the inside, under the surface, is something different. Bad motives, sinful intentions, a thought life, a character that's not pleasing to the Lord. So Christians should always be growing towards greater integrity. The same the continuity between the inward life and the outward life. So let's look at Proverbs, since that's, this is a Proverbs series. And Proverbs has some things to say about integrity. Uh, chapter 11, verse 20, it says this, The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but He delights in those with integrity. I don't know about you, but I want to delight the heart of God. I want my life to bring delight to Him. I want my life to bring a smile to His face, to be pleasing to Him. And this proverb says, He delights in those with integrity. There are other concepts that are tied in with this idea of integrity. And Proverbs touches on some of those as well. Let's read some of those together. Proverbs 25, 14 says this, A person who promises a gift but doesn't give it is like, the, is like clouds and wind that bring no rain. So a person of integrity keeps their word. A person of integrity keeps their word. A person who promises a gift but doesn't give it is problematic. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you tell your kid, I'm, I'm going to be there at the game, man, you better be there at the game. Keep your promises even when it hurts. Another thing, a person of integrity is honest to the core. Honesty is tied in with this concept of integrity. Proverbs 12.22 The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in those who tell the truth. Proverbs 6.12 What are worthless and wicked people like? They are constant liars. I got confused for a second. I was like, whoa, what's going on? Uh, what are worthless and wicked people like? They are constant liars. Now, most of us uh, wouldn't consider ourselves constant or compulsive liars. There's certainly some people that we see on the news that seem to have that problem. Um, but we can very easily... I'm not naming names. I'm just saying. You can maybe figure that out for yourself, who I'm thinking of. But... Um, <laughs> we can very easily find ourselves living in patterns of deception. Living in patterns of deception. Putting on a false front to certain people or hiding secrets for years and years. Even simple things like plagiarism, little acts of dishonesty that slip into our lives, stretching the truth on our resumes, these sorts of little things. You know, man, if we're people of integrity, we can't allow those little things to creep into our life. It's easy enough to lie. Man, my, <laughs> lately I've noticed my kids are starting to lie a lot. Like it's not all of them, but the, some of them are starting to just tell these lies and they're blatant lies. I mean, they'll have 
they'll be standing in front of a wall and their name will be written on the wall and they'll be holding a crayon. And you say, did you write your name on the wall? No, Daddy. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but grown-ups do the same do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. We might be able to fool some people, but we're not fooling God. And in the Bible, there are a few times when God strikes people dead on the spot. That's serious business. Man, if God is striking you dead, something is seriously wrong. We, have, we see that in a few places, mostly in the Old Testament. But there's one case in the New Testament when God strikes people dead. Uh, and God's not in the habit of doing this very often, thankfully. He could if he wanted to, but these, these, I would say he's more loving and gracious and merciful than that. But there's these occasions where he does. And one of those instances, the only time in the New Testament, is in the cha- uh, book of Acts, chapter 5. And it's Ananias and Sapphira. And in this story, they, in a nutshell, they, they come to the... Peter into the church and they bring uh, the, this money. They say that they sold their land, all of their land, as people were doing. They were selling all their property and bringing all the money in and giving it to the church and, and living this communal lifestyle that they were... Anyway, and they, but they held some back. They didn't bring all of the money. They kept some for themselves in a little bank account somewhere or something. And... Uh, and Ananias comes in first. He's the husband. Sapphira's the wife. And Ananias brings this, this offering and God strikes him dead because of his dishonesty. Because he was putting on this front of bringing everything, but he was holding some back. And then his wife, Sapphira, comes in a few hours later and she didn't know what happened. And they asked her, point blank, is this everything? Is this the whole amount? Oh yes, yeah, this is the whole amount. And they say, mm, uh, at the same feet that your husband just fell, dropped dead, you're going to drop dead too. And boom, God instantly killed her too. Wow, okay. Serious business. And the sin was dishonesty. That's it. It was a sin of lying, of dishonesty. You know, we don't rank, usually like to rank sins in the Bible, right? We don't like to say that sin, some sins are worse than others. Although some people tend to do that, right? It seems like there's some cultural things that people seem to think are like the worst sins, right? And we seem to talk about them a lot and we rally for those things. But, you know, the Bible does sort of sometimes highlight a few things that seem to be very serious in the, in the eyes of God. Obviously, this is one of them. A person of integrity is honest to the core. Thirdly, a person of integrity doesn't cheat or steal to get ahead. Proverbs 16.11 says, The Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards for fairness. He demands accurate scales and balances. So obviously, you know, in these days, in in the time of the scripture was written, there were merchants and things who would weight the scales and things so that they could cheat people um, send them off with less or make, charge them more, all these sorts of things. And, uh, and as I think about this and how this applies to our lives, we need to be people of integrity when it comes to our business dealings, when it comes to our business practices, when it comes to our workplaces. We need to be people of integrity. Proverbs 22.28, Don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary markers set up by previous generations. 
Hmm. Obviously, again, a practice people were doing, going and 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 re uh, uh, you know uh, resurveying their own property and uh, and cheating neighbors out of land and that sort of thing. We can't be doing that. There's some implications. I think uh, with regards to our First Nations people too as we think about this in our own context. Isn't there? You know, people steal stuff all the time. Uh, and, and, and it's not just people you think of as the typical criminal. I read a CBC article this week. It said, uh, it was titled, A Crime of Opportunity why some shoppers steal at self-checkouts. It says, self-checkout theft is an acknowledged problem, but what's less talked about is who's committing the crime. Turns out it may be someone you know, even you. Perhaps an item you tried to scan didn't have a barcode, so pressed for time, you slipped it into your bag without paying instead of flagging down a store employee for assistance. You felt justified giving the circumstances and figured the risk of getting caught was low. UK criminologist Adrian Beck calls that a crime of opportunity, one that's turning average shoppers into part-time thieves. I read somewhere else that said that uh, some of these big businesses, they lose millions of dollars a year as a result of people stealing from self-checkouts. And then you, people think, well, but they're a big, giant corporation. They're okay without that, you know, whatever. Uh, or these stupid self-checkouts, you know, they take away jobs and... and uh, and they make me have to do the work, so so what if I have to if I get something for free? You know, I've earned it. Um, people have those attitudes. Guess what, folks? That's not integrity. That's cheating. That's stealing. A person of integrity won't take those opportunities to be dishonest that present themselves from time to time. <clears throat> Paul Lee Tan tells this story in one of his books. He says, after his Sunday messages, the pastor of a church in London got on the trolley Monday morning to go back to his study downtown. He paid his fare, and the driver gave him too much change. The pastor sat down and fumbled the change and looked it over, counted it eight or ten times, and, you know, the common rationalization, oh, it's wonderful how God provides. (laughs) He realized... He was tight that week, and this was just what he would need to break even or, or at least to, to get lunch. He wrestled with himself all the way down that old trolley trail that led to his office. And finally he came to the stop and got up. Couldn't live with himself. Walked up to the trolley driver and said, Here, you gave me too much change. You made a mistake. And the driver said, No, it was no mistake. You see, I was in your church last night when you spoke on honesty, and I thought I'd put you to the test. Mm. People are watching. People notice our integrity. One of the best biblical examples of integrity is Daniel. Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, we come to a point in the story where he's become quite an old man. He's at least 80 years old, maybe older. Um, and uh, he, he is a man of integrity. He's been a man of integrity his whole life. 
and his integrity was noticed by the king. His excellence in his work was noticed by the king. And he was elevated to a position of great leadership in the Persian Empire at the time. And it says in Daniel chapter 6, it says, The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. He was going to basically become like the prime minister of the Persian Empire, this Daniel. But then, of course, the other people got jealous. They didn't like this, especially since he was a Jewish man. So then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But guess what? They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. He was a man of impeccable integrity. I just imagine them, you know, just watching him like a hawk, sending out spies to to spy on him and standing in the shadows, peeking around corners, seeing if he's going to cheat or do something wrong, you know. Uh, uh, Watching him at home, seeing what he does, seeing if there's anything at all that they can find in his life so they can say that he lacks integrity, so they can accuse him of something. And they can't find anything. There's no dirt. Nothing. So if you read the rest of the story, we we won't go there, but they end up creating a trap for him. They knew that his integrity wouldn't allow him to stop praying to God because he was such a... He loved the Lord with all his heart and he was true to his beliefs and he was unwilling to change his character to suit his circumstances. Again, because he was a man of integrity. And so they they trap him into this thing and he's... And, uh, and he continues to pray to God even though they make it illegal and all this stuff. And he gets thrown in the lion's den. You know the story. But God rewarded that integrity. He protected him from the mouth of the lions. And he continued his, to bless him. And uh, I had a whole section of my sermon this morning that was all about the rewards of integrity. What happens when we live a life of integrity? How does God bless us? Uh, and, uh, and I realized that it's just too much content. So I'm actually going to um, do that this week as a, as a podcast. All right? So those of you who listen to the sermon podcast, uh, there's going to be a bonus podcast this week as well. And that's going to be uh, the rewards of integrity. So like a little online Bible study that you can check out this week if you want to do that. Um, so yeah. Because um, yeah, it's 11 o'clock. Look at that. I want to just, uh, I want to close with a story. There was a lady uh, who I was in a group with one time. And uh, we actually, we had, there were several of us. And we had a, a sponsorship child through Compassion that we took on as a group of, of Christians. And uh, this lady in our group, she was responsible for writing the letters to our child, managing it all for us. And... Uh, when we got together one time, uh, we asked her, you know, uh, have you sent a letter to our sponsor child? And she said, yep, yep, I sent one off. Like, great. And we're just making sure that she was on it. Uh, And then we got together again a couple of weeks later and uh, and she said, I have to tell you something. She said, I have to to confess something. So, sure, what's going on? She said, a couple weeks ago I said that I, I sent 
the letter off to our sponsorship child and she said, I have to confess, I lied. She said, I, I hadn't done it. Um, just, she said, I, you know, I, I was intending to and, you know, I, it was like, it was going to happen in my mind so therefore I just said yes uh, even though it wasn't true. Um, uh, and, and I just need to tell you that I didn't do it. Um, um, but I am going to do it. Uh, but I didn't and I'm, I feel awful and I'm sorry. You know, I remember that moment because, uh, not because I, f- I felt so bad about, you know, oh, she's such a rotten person. Just the opposite. I was so impressed with her, with her honesty and her transparency and her vulnerability. That took great strength to confess that to us. And to me, that was a moment of great integrity, actually. Um, that she didn't, keep up this facade, this lie. She needed to, she needed to come clean. And, uh, and so my opinion of her did not diminish in that moment, just the opposite. And she was a person of great integrity. And this is the kind of thing, it's just a little, just a little example, but a little thing that, that we need to keep these sorts of things in mind, right? That if we're going to be people of integrity, we've got to be honest, we've got to be vulnerable, we've got to be transparent. Um, so that, so that what's on the inside matches what's on the outside. And this is the kind of thing that people notice. People notice our integrity. The integrity of Christians significantly affects how an unbelieving world thinks of Jesus and his church. You know, the, the Bible says that, that the cross, and the gospel, is offensive to people, right? It is, there's, there's an offensive nature to it. Right? You're telling people that they're sinners and they need to repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. That's offensive. Um, it is. It's true, but it's hard for some people to swallow. And I think that, unfortunately, sometimes we, we add unnecessary offense to the gospel by our behavior. The gospel is offensive, but you don't have to be. Thank you, Shannon. But it's so true. I mean, it's so true. We need to not make it harder for people to accept Jesus by our lack of integrity. Rather, we need to represent Jesus well with honesty, with transparency, with humility. Let's show people the beautiful, wonderful difference that Jesus can make in a life by being people of integrity. And let's be thankful for God's grace that fills in the gaps while we stumble through the peaks and valleys of life. Because, man, we are going to fail. But His grace is greater than our sin. Amen? Amen. Let's close with a hymn. Kyla, if you could come, please. Let me just have a word of prayer. Father God, We thank you for the example that Jesus gave us. This model of perfect integrity. Mold us, shape us, make us into the likeness of Jesus. May Jesus have full reign in our lives. That we can be the people of integrity and honesty and consistency that you want us to be. We want to bring you delight 
Lord. We want to put a smile on your face. And we want to make a difference in the world. We want to be good representatives of Jesus. So, Father, forgive us our sins. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom.